Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. itself worth celebrating and remarking and taking a little bit of a closer look. So some of you came wearing red because, well, first of all, we asked you to wear red. But second of all, it's probably part of your custom, your tradition now to wear red as a sign of Pentecost. That's one of the days where we break out our red. It's not ostentatious on Pentecost. It's great. You can wear it whenever you want. However, Pentecost only lasts one day in the liturgical life of the church. It only lasts one day in the biblical account, but the effects last forever. So my last church had a lot of red that it would put out for Pentecost, and um, the choir would like to put on their red stoles, and, and so, or actually it was their red hoods that they wore. And so as they did that, they would always lament every single Pentecost, Why does Pentecost only last a day? Now, what they wanted was to keep the incredible visual of the red. It is rather impressive, is it not? I do like the red. But they were like, can't we, like, leave it up? Well, as much as we like the visual of the red, it's less impactful if you see it all the time. You kind of get numb to the red, right? Like, how many of you pay really close attention to the carpet? It's red-ish. We call this Methodist red. I don't know if you know that. If it's not quite fire engine red, but it's not quite burgundy, it's like Methodist red. You can actually go to rug stores and carpet salesmen and tell them you're looking for Methodist red, and they'll go, I know what you're talking about. They know, right? And so we kind of get numb to it, though, because, you know, it's the color of our hymnals. We get, we get a little blind to the red. But when you have this pop of red, it really charges us. It says something. And as I told the children when they were gathered up here for children's time, the only other time in the life of the church that we actively shift to red is the service of the ordering of ministry in the Virginia Annual Conference. Now, this is coming up this month. In fact, it's going to be on, I think it'll be on the 18th, June 18th. So what generally happens is we have a lot of work that we are doing when all of the clergy and their lay counterparts arrive this year in that holy Mecca of Hampton. We will all descend upon Hampton in the thousands, and there we will do some uh, actual administrative work. We will celebrate some of the wonderful things that have happened. We will have a service of retirement. We will have a, a memorial service for those who have passed away over the course of the last year. But the biggest service of all is the service of the ordering of ministry. And in our annual conference, we are very blessed to have a whole myriad of people who will be coming up to be blessed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, we live stream it. So if you would like to watch it, you can go and see it. It's much more impressive in person. I think we're much more impressive in person, right? But you can see it. And it is incredible to see sometimes two dozen people get licensed as licensed local pastors. It's amazing to watch people take that next to last step to become commissioned elders and deacons as they are moving toward that provisional status, that three or more years of you know, wandering through the Board of Ordained Ministries. And then you have the last. And if you watch this, you can see things shifting. 
you can see that the bishop will call up all of those that are being licensed, but she will not touch them. She will not lay hands on them. She will bless them like this, but she will not touch them. And then when she calls up those that are becoming provisional elders and deacons, those that are being commissioned, they will all come up together and they will kneel, usually either in a, a semi-square or a semi-circle, and she will go and she will do a prayer over each of them individually, but they will all come up together. But when it's time to be ordained, you are the one and the only. And they clear off the chancel or the platform and they bring up a kneeler and our bishop and whatever bishops happen to be visiting, or we actually have a lot of bishops that choose to retire to that other holy mecca known as Williamsburg. So we have a few that come up. And those that are being ordained as either elders or deacons will come up and they will kneel. And they and the, the, the two from your um, order that you are being ordained with. So in my case, I was an ordained as an elder. And so I had two elders with me. And you kneel down. And I brought my son. And he decided he would kneel down with me. And so we knelt down. And they all put their hands on us. And the bishops put their hands on my head. And they invoked a double portion of the Holy Spirit, that same Elisha experience that we all kind of yearn for, to know what it was like when Elijah was going up in the chariots of fire. And Elisha said to him, please give me a double portion of your spirit. And Elijah, in infinite wisdom, says, that's not mine to give you. That is God's. If God is going to give you a double portion of God's spirit, then God will decide to do that. But here, here's your indication. This is how you will know. If you can see me go all the way up, you will know. And so Elisha watches and watches, and suddenly Elijah disappears from sight. But then Elisha does what all of us do, right? If you get a double portion of the Holy Spirit, aren't you just itching to find out if it works? So he takes his mantle, and he slaps it against the Jordan River, and it parts. And he's like, yes! He's got it. And so anyone who's been ordained, we wear our mantles. Uh, elders wear them in the broad stole like this, and deacons wear them in the diagonal stole like this. We have our stoles, and that's a sign to you that we knelt down before a bishop who was actively consecrating, and we're, we're able to receive that second portion. If I got a second portion, when did I get my first portion? I got it when I was baptized. And at 9 o'clock this morning, we baptized two incredible little girls, one uh, who was still an infant, the other one who was going to be an infant when we were going to baptize her in March of 2020 before a little hiccup in our plans happened. And so she showed up today in her own little white dress and feeling very precocious and powerful like Elisha when you get that double portion of the Holy Spirit. She toured the chancel. She climbed up into the pulpit. We had a stepladder there and got up and led the congregation for a little bit. And it was amazing to watch what God could do through her. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm sure there's somebody somewhere, not in our church, of course, but I'm sure there's somebody somewhere that was like, these kids are out of control. I'm sure they were. But isn't that what Pentecost is about? Being out of control? It's when we submit our will to God's. It's when we say, more of you and less of me. It's when we say, you are perfect love. You are absolute forgiveness. You are a God of endless grace, and I want to be more of that and less of my faults and my failures, my mortality and my sinfulness. I want to be less of that and more of you, almighty God. And God knows we can't do that on our own. We can't. That's why God says, I will be with you. The scripture I read to you is from the gospel account of John. It actually precedes 
the recollection of the day of Pentecost in the next book, which is the book of the Acts of the Apostles. But this was the promise. I read you the promise that Jesus gave. The gospel account of John has Jesus gathering on Passover. And in this gospel, Jesus actually doesn't institute Holy Communion. If you want to find Holy Communion, you're going to have to go to Matthew, Mark, or Luke. But in John, that's where you get the foot washing. That's where you get this incredible breadth of knowledge that Jesus imparts to them. That's why Passover seems to actually last all night in the gospel account of John, because Jesus has a lot to say. But one of the last things he says to them is, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. He's trying to get them ready for the fact that I'm not going to be here with you forever. Because they've gotten to this point over here in our windows where Jesus is their shepherd and Jesus has been leading them for three years of earthly ministry. But they don't realize that that night comes this window over here where all of a sudden Jesus is kneeling in the Garden of Gethsemane and it's all about to move to the end really quickly. It's about to be a quick tour down the pulpit side of the sanctuary. And Jesus knows that that is going to come like rushing waters. And if they don't have a tether, an anchor, a firm foundation, then they're going to be swept away. And so he's trying to give them that lifeline, that rope. He's trying to say to them, I am not going to abandon you. It's going to look like I'm gone, but I am not. I will never abandon you. Because I am part of that trinity. I am part of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I will send to you the next revelation of God's self. Calls it the advocate. Calls it the comforter. God's own spirit is coming. Now, they must have been completely discombobulated. I thought we were going to be talking about Exodus, and we're in a book that's not written yet. What is going on? And so they sat there and they tried to listen and you heard the other Judas go, what is this? How do you show yourself to us and not show yourself to the world? Don't you think being a Christian in 2022 would be a lot easier if we didn't have to show Jesus in these vessels? If we could just be like, and here's Jesus. Believe. You think to yourself, why would God do that? Why would God make us be the ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Why? I got no answer for that. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I have no answer for that. Maybe I could sit here and try to give you some really good theological reason. But the, the reality is that whether we like it or understand it or agree with it or not, this is what the world gets. They get people like you and me. And then we have to try to show them Christ. And that's not easy to do. And we try to point to our sacraments, right? We've got our two new pyramids over here. So you can see baptism, because every now and then I'll reference this window, which half of you can't see. So now we've got our baptism, and you'll see the same shell that's mirrored in the window. And I actually used that to baptize the older girl today, used a shell to baptize her. And you'll notice that there's one, two, three drops coming out of that shell. Because we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then over here in this one, you'll see the chalice, which would be containing our grape juice because we're Methodists and don't use wine. And then you see the grain. So for some of us, that would be bread. 
For others in other parts of the world, you might find rice balls. There's all kinds of other things, but over here you can see communion because half of you cannot see this one, right? But now we can all kind of be in the same place. But here's the, 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 the deal. We've got one sacrament on this end, and we've got one sacrament on this end, and we are in the middle. Theologically, we are in the middle. In reality, we're in the middle. This is where we are. We want to be forgiven in a tremendous rush of baptismal water and the invocation of God's spirit to indwell within us. But we also want to be reminded that in between that and death, that we can still be forgiven for the things that we're going to do. John Wesley used to say that you could sin away your baptism. Now, I know that there are Christian flavors and denominations that dislike that concept, but let's be honest. How many of us were baptized before we really knew how to actualize sin? If you were baptized under the age of 18 months, your parents had no idea how bad it could get. Right about 18 months, that's, that's my magic number, right about 18 months, they start to move on their own, they start to think on their own. You'll find that Jesus was trying to tell us that the day is going to come where all of a sudden you realize you have power and strength over yourself right about 18 months, right? Because before that, you were kind of at the mercy of whoever was with you, your parents, your grandparents, family, friends, babysitter, whoever was with you, you were kind of at their mercy. But once you can start to walk and you get a little bit more power in your movement, the whole world is your oyster, right? That's when we start to see a big flare in biting, right? Because you might not actually have the linguistics to tell somebody, that was my toy, but you got the mouth. And so you're like, if I can't speak it, let me show you how angry I am. Now, we are not called to be biters, right? Nowhere do the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the lawyers and the scribes show up and they get really wordy and nasty with Jesus and he leans over and bites one. Never happens. Not meant to bite people. Don't do it. It's bad hygiene, and I'm pretty sure it's a sin. Don't do it. Instead, Jesus uses a mouth and words and a heart and a mind and a spirit to try to illuminate, but even more to love. And it's really hard to figure out, okay, Pentecost came. We got the Holy Spirit. Some of us were baptized and had the laying of the hands and received it then. You know, others of us have, have felt the Spirit come over us. We have felt this, the indwelling that can happen regardless because John Wesley also said that baptism is neither sufficient nor necessary for salvation. There are a whole bunch of people that were saved that weren't baptized. Nobody baptized Elijah before he went up in the chariot. So God doesn't use this to keep people out of God's good graces, but this can help you get in <laughs> to God's good graces. But this side is really important. Because in the history of Christianity, we always thought that our first taste of the after effects, the ripple effects of Pentecost were baptism. We in the Methodist tradition, as are our Lutheran, Anglican, Episcopalian, and Catholic siblings in faith, we are all practitioners of what some call infant baptism. Today I baptized an infant. I also baptized a really precocious three-year-old. But I've baptized older than that. I've baptized young adults, children. I've baptized my oldest baptism thus far has been 86. Baptized an 86-year-old. 
There is no limit to when you can be baptized, but there are also plenty of people who have never been baptized. So this is no longer the gateway experience for a whole number of people. By the way, most of us who are baptized as infants don't remember. <laughs> do you remember what it was like to be six months old? I do not. I saw pictures of it. I probably would not have approved the attire that I wore. Would not have been approved. My mother's not here today, so I can say that. But, but, you are totally in power when you come to this table. Do you want it or not? You know, today, right after baptizing Andy and she had her whole little Pentecost moment up here at the pulpit, we went through the rest of the service. She went out to children's worship. She came back in. The kids all came in with her, and it was time to go back with our families and come forward and receive communion. And Andy comes marching right up, and I break off a piece of the bread to give her, and Andy reaches for the big loaf. <laughs> Why would you give me this little piece? I don't want that. I want this. Now let's take a second and think about theologically what that means. I am totally sure, not, that Andy was like, I want the largest piece of grace that she has to give me. I'm not sure that that's what Andy would be thinking. Or that I want the biggest piece of Jesus that I could possibly get my hands on. Probably not what she was thinking. She was probably thinking, I don't want a piece, I want the whole thing. My friends, my siblings in Christ... Why don't we all think like that? Do you want just a taste of Jesus Christ or do you want a heavenly meal that will last forever? And if you can have such a thing, if you could have a heavenly meal that will last forever, who are you going to invite to your table? Who would you invite? Jesus Christ is inviting every single person to gather not only at this table, but at the one that is coming to us when the kingdom of heaven arrives. In his triumphant return, we are all invited there. We are all given a place. And this is where the presence of the Holy Spirit and Holy Communion and our duties as disciples of Jesus Christ come together. How do you show somebody Jesus if you've forgotten what it was like? How do you show somebody Jesus if you haven't felt very Christ-like in the past week, month, however long? How do you show somebody Jesus? Jesus said, I will show you how. I will give you a piece of myself. I will let you dip it in the cup that reminds you of the covenant that I am making for you in blood. I will literally empty myself out. There will not be one drop left, which is why when the Roman soldier pierces his side with a spear, water comes out. He has emptied himself for us. How many of us now are willing to even consider the challenge of emptying ourselves out that we might be filled with Christ for the world? And what does that look like? Well, there's a whole bunch of different opinions on that. Not just within Methodism, by the way, but a whole bunch of opinions on what that might look like. And we don't have that kind of time today. We've got communion coming up. But I have wrestled with how do you tell somebody? How do you get it down to that one essential grain? How do you get it down to the very genesis of what then becomes the pearl of our faith? How do you get back to that 
beginning. And the closest I have come, and I am not perfect, that's why I too will take communion with you today, (laughs) the closest I have come is what I say to the preschool kids every single year when they begin in September, and I tell them this. I am Pastor Sarah, and a pastor is someone who loves God and loves people, and is helping people do that, learn to love God and love other people. Love God and love people. Somebody I really respect once said that. And then I spend every chapel after that practicing what I preach and learning what I teach. Loving God and loving them and loving others. So when you wonder, what am I supposed to do here? This situation feels out of control. When you wonder, what do I need to say because there's a whole bunch of options floating around, what actually needs to come down and out, err on the side of love. Err on the side of love. Because we can all take our time and think of something biting, hurtful, snarky, But when you err on the side of love, you are trying to love God and love people. You are trying to fulfill why we have been given the power of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost in the first place. Now, some people talk about Pentecost like it was over, right? It was a one and done. The Holy Spirit came down. There were tongues of flame. The end. It's gone. It's over. None of us were there. It'll probably never happen like that again. There are siblings within Christianity of our Pentecostal variety who try to channel that moment in their worship and God love them for it. But we don't have that same universal Pentecost that happened on that first day. And some of us wish we could. We want that Pentecost experience. But the point of Pentecost was that God was giving a piece of God's self to us and that has never left. That has never left the world. That piece of God's self came down upon the remaining 11 And they have been passing it on. They were ordained by Christ as apostles. And they were called. And some of them stayed in Jerusalem and some of them didn't. And they went around and they continued the laying of the hands, the invocation of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, baptizing in Jesus' name, doing all that he taught them, that others might experience the power of Pentecost. Every time you see a baptism... The focus is always blue and white because we're doing baptism. But let me tell you something, there is red in that. And when we are taking Holy Communion, I know you can't see into the chalice as well, and I know it's tinted more purple than anything else, but let me tell you, there is red over there too. And that red is in you. If we pierced ourselves, would we not see red? Christ isn't asking you to bleed for him. He already did that. He's asking you to live and love for him. May we be inspired by Pentecost, by the incredible, powerful movement of the Holy Spirit in our sacraments, and in the love that connects us to do that, to live and love in Jesus Christ. And then the world will see that Pentecost isn't over. Oh no, it is just beginning. The life and the love of our Lord and Savior has not been snuffed out, and he won't let it. 
So let us all do our individual parts and our parts collectively as the body of Christ to make sure that we don't do it either. Because you know what you call cells in the body that turn on the other cells? Cancer. Christ has come to heal us, to make us whole, not to condemn. May we learn to lean far more towards the love and not the human bent to sin. Pentecost, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, and the justifying grace that happens in both sacraments are what helps us to stand tall and firm so that we can truly serve the world. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.